and then make sure you hire the right people to help get you where you need to be. The people who are strong in those areas, the people who have proven experience, a proven track record, not people who say, not just because they have uh, 20,000 people following them on Instagram because they're showing all these booty shots and you know naked pictures and out clinking glasses, not those folks. We're t- the, the people who could probably help you the most may not even be on social media that often because they're so busy working. We will discuss real estate investing in this episode and investing in real estate involves special risk, including possible decline in real estate values, adverse economic conditions, and changes in interest rates and may not be suitable for all investors. Welcome to the Millennials and Money Podcast, a podcast dedicated to help millennials to make wise decisions with their money. We find some of the best ways to learn is through stories. So each week, your host and investment advisor representative, Payne Boyer, invites millennial guests on the show to share their money story. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to another exciting episode of the Millennials and Money Podcast. I'm your host, as always, investment advisor representative for Homes Financial, Peyton Boyer Boyer. And this week, as usual, I have another exciting guest. This week, I have Miss Key Matthews, real estate agent, investment, uh, real estate investor, advisor, and radio show host, Key Matthews. Say hello, Key. Hello, everyone. Hey, Key. Um, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Uh, and normally, I like to, before I let you introduce yourself, I like to share how you and I met. And I don't know how we originally met. I think it might have been at the Realtors we met for the first time. I, I, I Is that correct? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so we met at the Realtors group, and you came to actually one of my workshops in the past. You had my boss on your radio show. Mm-hmm. And once I heard him on your show, I said, well, Key, I'd like to get on the show too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he gave me an opportunity to come on the show and we've just been keeping contact ever since. Yeah. So Key, why don't you take some time to introduce who you are, what you do for a living and some about yourself? Sure. So my name, as you said, is Key Matthews. I am broker and owner of Matthews and Company Realty Group. I also have a property management company, Urban Core Rentals Property Management. And I manage properties for mainly for my investors who buy and hold. So I, I don't market that end of the business because it really is just there. It exists just to manage their investment properties. I am also the radio talk show host of Selling Sacramento that airs every Wednesday on 97.5 FM KDEE, Sacramento's number one R&B old school station. And I've been in real estate for 17 years, going into my 18th year, also working on, officially, I am a developer working on a development project that's a little bit under wraps for now and um, looking forward to sharing that information with the world as soon as I'm able to (laughs) and happy to be here. Hey, I'm excited to have you here on here too. We have a lot to talk about today, especially with all things you have going on um, with all the different business revenues, uh, income revenue streams you have going. But before we get there, you know, the show is all about, people's money story. And a lot of times the money stories get formed, the ideas around money, the relationship and mindset around money gets formed at a young age. So let's talk about what money was like for you and your household when you were growing up. Did you grow up here in Sacramento? I did. I grew up here in Sacramento. I was born in Yerington, Nevada, but only spent summers out there. Um, the majority of my family came to Sacramento and they're still here today. Um, went to Parkway Elementary, Wilsiewood Middle School, Hiram Johnson High School, and Sac State. Singers up, go Hornets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so growing up, you you know, when you're when you're a kid, everything is so uh what's the word? You don't know what you don't know, right? You're everything is innocent. You are innocent, you don't really know. So we didn't, I didn't grow up in a household where we had a lot of money. My um, parents lived in an apartment. We grew up in Kennedy Estates, apartments off of 65th and um, what's the Elder Creek, Elder Creek and 65th. Moved on from there to the G Parkway neighborhood right in my preteens. And so growing up for me, money 
I don't know if it was just something that that God planted or instilled in me early. I've never had the urge to have stuff. So that's never been my money has never been a motivating factor for me. I don't know if that even makes sense to people these days, <laughs> because I've always I have always been as a very young person when I was when I was uh, younger, I was always in my head. I was always thinking and planning and envisioning and imagining. And so I enjoyed my life as a child in that innocence, because the other thing was that whatever was going on in my head, my mom nurtured so that I could make it come true. You know, at a time when most children are being raised and they're being told, no, don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't. The boundaries were off for me. So. For example, every year I knew I was getting a Christmas, an art kit for Christmas. Under that tree was going to be some kind of new art kit. Whatever Crayola had that was top of the line for the year, it was mine, you know, with, with complete paint sets and brushes and, and chalk and all of that. And so um, I was a very creative child. I was, I was a really good artist. Um uh, we, I had a little singing group, me and my sister and one of my neighbors. I just leaned into everything creative and my mom nurtured that. And so I say that to say that I created whatever I wanted. Whatever I wanted was in my mind and I created it. I remember going to the doctor's office. I was nine years old and I saw a mural while we were in the waiting room and it was of a forest with these little pencil thin trees and it just was beautiful and I could just see myself walking through that and I told my mom I want to paint that I can paint that and I remember she went to the manager the property manager of the apartment complex that we lived where we lived and she asked permission for me to paint that mural in our apartment we lived in a two-story um, apartment and she allowed me to paint it on the staircase uh, going up the stairs and my mom went and bought the paints and it did not look anything <laughs> like the, <mural laughs> the doctor's office but my mom let me do it and she was so proud and now that I think back on it, I was like oh my god it was horrific <laughs> but she just you know bragged on it to everybody that came over and stuff and so I'm sharing that to say that she trained me or conditioned me in my gift that if it came into my mind, if I could think about it, I could actually make it visible. I could make it come true. And so for that reason, I didn't realize at the time, but what I actually had was the gift of faith that a lot of people, it prevents a lot of people from moving forward, from pulling the trigger, from taking a risk. I just thought, you know, if I could think it up, I could do it. But that's not normal. And I realize now that that's a superpower of mine. That's not normal for, for most people. They they contemplate, they plan, they they the fear overcomes them, and then they never even pull the trigger at all, right? There's so many people who have what's called a paralysis by analysis. Mm -hmm. And they, they, they have these, there's listeners who are sitting there with million dollar ideas that they're waiting to, to the perfect time to implement. And they just, and that perfect time is not going to come. Yeah. You got you to make it happen. You have that idea. Like you said, it's a God planted thing that God planted in your heart for a reason. And it's such a blessing to have a mom who cultivated it, Absolutely. Who, who saw that, especially in our communities. Like it, it's, it's not, it's not explored. Like it sounds like your mom was Willing to let you paint on her. My mom will not let me paint on her wall still. I'm a <laughs> no, not at all. You know, you there was parts of the house that you didn't even go into, right? We so, used to have a living room. I, I don't know why it was called a living room, but my parents' house, a living room was a room with you're not allowed to go in. You can't, it's it's nice. It's a really yeah. nice table, chair. But yeah. you go, I was like, mom, why do we have this room? Wait, wait, the you probably too young to remember this, but the plastic furniture, it's yeah. like you, you can't sit on it, you can't, you know, so I, I really, it was a blessing to have a mom that actually said, it's okay, and she didn't say it's okay, she just did it, you know, so I didn't know that there were boundaries that were supposed to be in front, you don't know what you don't know, and sometimes ignorance is bliss, so... 
that, that's it. Cause you, I, we'll get into your story and you've done so well for yourself. And you came from, I'm in Sacramento, G Parkway. That's the projects. It's shining star now, but it was, it was G Parkway back in the day. And, yep. but even having those humble beginnings and coming from what might, what might, some might see as poverty, you didn't see it that way because your mom was exploring other avenue, avenues and other ways to get the things that you wanted to satisfy you. Yeah. So I think that's such a blessing. Um, was money talked about at all at your home growing up? No, not not at all. The only time, and and it was, it was it that wasn't necessarily a a good thing because then I would later have to figure all that out. You know, there there came a time when I had to pay my own bills and had to figure it out. Um, my my stepfather, one of the things that he instilled in all of us was a work ethic. It was, you know, I come from a time when dad went to work and mom stayed home and take took care of the family. And that was what our household was like. And Monday through Friday, he was up going to work and coming back home. And when he got home, dinner was ready. So there was a there was a routine that was established, but money, the 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 financial situation was never discussed with the kids. And that is not necessarily a good thing because then it was left to, well, what did you learn in school? You know, assuming the school is teaching you, and then assuming that that's your that whatever they're teaching you in school and how they're teaching it to you is not beneficial, that that it clicks with how you learn. Because if it's somebody just telling you and you're a visual learner or you're a hands-on learner like me, then it's not sticking. And so I can tell you, there's a lot of things in school, depending on the types of teachers who I had that didn't stick. The teachers who got more visual with me, the teachers who were much more expressive and who were passionate about what they were teaching, those are the lessons that stuck the most. And money was not taught to me because of the type of learner that I am like that. And so as a result now, uh, as a result for me financially, financially, it was easy until I started pulling the trigger on some of the risks. And what I mean by that is because, again, I said that my my stepfather, he set the pattern. So you went to work. When you when you got paid, the bills got paid because that was, you know, that was the assumption. You go to work to pay your bills. But when I started taking the risks and I went into entrepreneurship, whole different dynamic. Because now you're responsible for what? Taxes, insurance, um, retirement, um, investments, business planning. You're, You're responsible for all of that. And if you, it's one thing to have your creative fin developed where you can do the thing that you do really well, well, but it's another thing altogether to have your business fin developed. So when you start a business, there's that thing that you do, there's that service that you provide, but then there's also the financial piece that you have to get in order equally as strong as the creative piece. And that's the part where I ended up learning over time through trial and error. (laughs) Yeah, it's so important to like, all of us like who are entrepreneurs out there, we have one thing we do really well. And for me, it's like planning, I can put a plan together. But we also, as business owners, we have to be marketers. We have to be bookkeepers. We have to be tax specialists and all these things that we we got in the business because we want to help people doing what we do. Right. But we don't realize all the things that come along with that. And there's so much that it does. So let's talk about the, so you grew up, you, you know, you learn, you go to work, you pay your bills. Mom stays home. Um, your dad was working 40 hours a week or more, I'm assuming when did what what was your first job and were you look planning to stay home uh, up? let's talk about that oh my god my first job lord 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 so i was 14 and myself and a couple of my cousins we 
applied for a job with the Sacramento Bee delivering papers <laughs> on people's doorsteps and uh, not delivering papers, uh, taking subscriptions, not delivering. Oh, papers. yes. Taking that, subscriptions. That's a sales job. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the van would pick us up and then they'd drop us off in the neighborhood and we'd have to go door to door. Well, I, I don't even think the job lasted a whole week. They hired us all together. And we got fired all together <laughs> because someone, I can't even remember which one of us it was, uh, the subscription uh, papers was like a stack of, you know, little small documents and you take the, write down the person's subscription, but you're still holding this stack of papers, right? So someone came, got to a front porch, we're all on the same street, and a dog started barking and they ran and they threw the subscription papers, all the subscription that they had gathered, just threw them and just took off running. And then we, you know, we all just started running. We don't look back to see what you're running for. So we all ran and uh, got back to the truck. And later on that day, we got fired. <laughs> so that was my first job. Sadly. <laughs> so let's talk about a job where you actually experienced some money. And what where I got, yeah. So, um, so the job that like, I actually got paid where, where I stayed for a while, that was not a, not a humorous job experience, but it was actually a very pivotal job experience. I was in high school and I was in my senior year and when you, in your senior year, oftentimes when you get all of the credits that you need, you only have to go to school for half a day. And so that's where I was. I had completed all my credits. I, I did really well in high school. I loved high school. And, um, but I finished by noon. So one of my aunts who worked, she was a supervisor for the Department of Water Resources. She hired me part-time. So when I'd, I'd leave school, leave Hiram Johnson, walk down to the light rail, 65th light rail, hop on the train, and then get off at the Department of Water Resources. And I'd work there from, I think it was one o'clock till five, or maybe 1230 until five for the rest of the day. And I worked as a, it was clerical work, you know, receptionist type work. But I remember getting there one day and I'm doing this filing and stuff. And, you know, remember I'm, I'm there like right at lunchtime and I see my aunt walk in the door and my aunt was, she was fancy. She was high end. She made a lot of money. She drove a gold small Mercedes and her nails were always on point. She was just a, she was a diva, but she was very kind and very generous. And, um, I saw her walk back in the office with a couple of her uh, coworkers and they were carrying Macy's bags mm -hmm. and, you know, they were, oh, you know, and, and then checking in with me for messages and things. And I was like, I don't like this feeling, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they out there, you know, making money, doing whatever. And I'm behind this desk. And at that moment, I literally told myself, I will never work for anybody. Wow. And it would, there would only be, after, after that moment, my next job came after I, after, while I was in school at Sac State, I was working for the university. Then I opened my own graphic design and marketing firm. And then I ended up later on working for a general contractor. But those two jobs were directly related to the field that I was in. And then in between those, you know, having my own business and then working for the general contractor, then going into real estate, which is where I've been for the past 17 years. But at that moment, I realized that behind the desk was not for me. And there was a moment where when I had my own business in graphic design and advertising, 9-11 occurred and I was a small vendor for the state with, through my design company. They let go of all of their small vendors so that they could have money to send back to the East Coast to help with the rebuilding efforts. So overnight, I was looking for work to pay my bills. And um, that's when I got hired on 
with the general contractor. But before him, I interviewed with Progressive Insurance. $76,000 a year is what they wanted to pay me. There was a three-step process. Part of that process was taking the Myers-Briggs test. And the last step was to interview with the person who would be your supervisor or manager. She brought me into the office that I would have been working in. And she said, Keisha, we want to hire you, but we can't. She reaffirmed what I had told my younger self back in, in uh, high school. She said, you don't belong behind that desk. She said, 98% of this job is behind that desk. Your Myers-Briggs tells us that you will leave us in three to six months because you will not be happy. I was like, what? I need $76,000 a year. I don't care about Myers-Briggs. But I understood now, you know, what, what it was she was saying. She was not only looking out for um, the company, for Progressive, because they don't want to make a bad hire. They want somebody whose personality is going to fit and who's going to help, you know, be conducive to their business. But it made me take a long, hard look at my giftedness and what I what I had been taught, or not what I've been taught, what I'm seeing the world say you should do, you know, go to work nine to five, da 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 da, and then looking back inward and saying, but this is not you. You just because you are around a lot of people that go to work doesn't mean that you're supposed to be that same person. Your your area of giftedness, the 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 your gift to the world is your gifts. And the, the Bible teaches us that your gifts will make room for you, right? Your gifts will take care of you financially. And so those are some of the lessons that I learned while going through this transition time that a lot of young people go through and, you know, you're just trying to find yourself. So that's how I found myself. And financially, that's that is what helped me get on track financially that I've always been able to be in real estate full time, never been part time. So, so that you said quite a bit there that I definitely want to touch on. And it goes back to that. You're you seeing that painting when you were a child, your mom saying you have a vision, go make this vision happen. And like that, it shows how much that did for you. Because when you're sitting behind that desk at the water, uh, the water resource, department of water resources, department of water resources, you saw your auntie and her friends come in there with their Macy bags. And you saw that, that I'd rather be there. Let me make that happen. It shows how much the fact that letting a child visualize things can do for you as you grow older. And then not only did you speak into existence, I'm not meant to work for anybody. The, the test showed it too. So that, that changed. That was a huge shift. Your mom planted those seeds to make you someone who can, who can create. Like you said, you've been a creator from, from the beginning. So let's talk about the, how you got into real estate, what that process was like, and how this journey's been as you're still on it. Yeah. So I was doing, I, I went to school to study graphic design and journalism. My goal actually was to be a broadcast journalist. I wanted to be a White House correspondent. Let me pause you there because for our listeners, that's why you hear that perfect radio voice. <laughs> that's why you guys hear it. And, and it's next to mine, which is not so good. <laughs> that That's just, a, that's, you know, what the gift, that's a, that's the gift. You know, you, you, anyway, so, <laughs> so that was the goal. And, um, but it didn't happen because in my senior year, I got pregnant and going into college, I had my son. And so my goal was to go to school out of state. I, I wanted to go to um, Spelman and, you know, just a whole HBCU experience. All of that got backburnered after my son was born. So I had to stay here local. Went to Sac State, worked for um, the university for a while in that same field of graphic design and marketing. Um, opened my own business in my home. As I'm doing this, getting a lot of business, getting a lot of recognition, excited about it, thinking, okay, I'm going to open this advertising agency. I'm going to have the first Black female-owned advertising agency in Sacramento. It's going to be great, you know. 
And I'm thinking this is what I was created to do, that God is just opening all these doors for me. 9-11 happened, as I mentioned earlier. And having this, this is another moment where I ended up recognizing a really big business lesson, learning a business lesson, not to have so much of my eggs in one basket. Like 85% of my business was with this contract through the state of California. And when they canceled all of their small vendors to send money back back east, I was one of those small vendors. So again, overnight, I'm looking for work. I <clears throat> uh, told you about applying for Progressive. And then a friend of mine told me about a friend of hers who was a general contractor. So I went to work for him. And another strange occurrence happened. I felt like a fish who had found water. So mm -hmm. I'm in his office and I'm doing this admin work, but then, then I also start um, working with the architects, the contractors, the city planners, going downtown, pulling permits, going on job sites, talking to the, the architects and helping them, you know, because I got this creative side too. So throwing in my little two cent, I carried around a hard hat and boots in my in my car and started studying for my general contractor's license because I said, this is it. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, it's a combination of creativity. I'm outdoors. I'm, you know, creating. I'm watching something. Something is is starting here and then I can see it happen there. And it was just like the most exciting feeling. And um, one day I'm having my car worked on at a shop. I leave the shop and walk across the street. This was off of Calvine to go to this. I see the Century 21 office and this was like 2003. And I walk in and ask them, hey, you know, what do you need to do to become a real estate agent? This is the time when the real estate market was heating up. And the broker, Anthony Wynn, sits down and he talks to me and he tells me, you know, what it takes. And then he asks me about myself and I give him my story, my background about everything that happened to me. And he was so impressed that here I was in the, in the midst of having all of this happen to me and recovering and then the, having the uh, experience that I had, he said, if you come and work for us in our marketing department, creating materials and things for our agents, we will pay for you to go to school. Now, mind you, when, when, I, when I lost my business and had to start looking for work, I also had to sell everything. I had three Apple Macintosh computers, four printers, including two color printers, all of this equipment and software. And this was not the day of cloud storage. Mm -hmm. You had to buy software in the boxes, like two, $300, $400 for it. I sold all of that. He said, if you come work for us, we will buy your computer, buy all, everything that you need. We will buy it for you. You can use it at home because he knew I had my, and now by this time I have two children. I have a son and a daughter. You can stay at home. We know you're a stay-at-home mom. You can work from home. We will pay for you to work for us. And we'll pay for you to, to get your license. And I'm thinking, okay, this is called an open door. <laughs> this is what you call an open door. Walk straight through it. So I did. I left the, the general contractor. I left the put the idea of getting my general contractor's license on pause got my real estate license as i took the test one time i passed the first time and i say that because when i went to take my broker's license 12 years later it took me seven times to pass so yeah but anyway so now i'm working for century 21 and they're giving me all of these opportunities they immediately, I immediately started leading the marketing department. They allowed me to start training agents where I become the trainer, the trainer for the company. Um, and then I end up moving into management 
and end up managing their largest office, which at that time was off of Folsom Boulevard and Watt, mm -hmm. and over 100 agents. Wow. And this was at the height of the market. So all of this that's happening unknowingly is training and growing me, right? And I'm feeling the whole time though, you know, you, you can't tie me down. That's just the kind of dog. I don't want to be tied down to anybody else's program. So becoming a broker is just in me. So I didn't know how long I'd be there, but I knew one day I'd leave. Mm -hmm. And to this day, we still have very good um, connections with myself and the, the team from Century 21 Landmark now uh, Select. They, they've tried to get me back. Um, before I left, they offered me the moon to stay, but it was just within me for me to get my broker's license and leave. And so I did. Once I got my broker's license, not it wasn't long after that that I opened up my own brokerage. So I want to go back and touch on when you, because, you know, it feels so good to make something and build something on your own. And when you've done something like you did with the marketing, your marketing business, and something had a lot of left field, like no, no mistake of your own, no, no, no malpractice, no bad business ethics. And something like 9-11 happens for our listeners who are who some of our listeners were not even born when this happened. So yeah. we are the majority of our listeners. <laughs> but um, when 9-11 happened, you had to lose your business for something, for something that was completely out of your control. Yeah. How did you bounce back from that? And how was it when it? We realize I'm going to have to lose this thing. It wasn't easy at all. You know, it's I can say it now in 10 minutes or less, but it took me a long time to emotionally and mentally get past that because my heart and mind and soul, everything was set on this business and the business growing and, and the vision that I had for it. And so there was, um, you know, not only was there a moment of um, frustration and, and anger with God, but I actually, I had suicidal thoughts because things got tough financially and things got tough uh, socially. It was, it was not an easy road to bounce back from. And, um, I definitely would say if it had not been for my faith and my hope, you know, because all we need is the size of a mustard seed. And that that was all that I had to depend on because everything else didn't, it wasn't adding up. And so I had to really go within, really go within, spend a lot of time with God and, and talking reading the scriptures and, and reinforcing what the word says that, that he has for me and talking to myself in a positive way, you know, fighting the desire to allow the negative to be my truth, right? Just because it's happening doesn't mean you got to stay there. What is happening can change if you decide to change it. <laughs> and so I decided that I, I was going to change it. I, you know, I started um, just taking steps to heal and looking and, and mapping out a, a new future. You know, I, I always like to take the categories, mental, physical, spiritual, social, financial, and engage myself. How was I doing in those areas mentally? Well, I knew mentally it was it, things weren't looking good. So what do you need to do to make yourself mentally healthy? And I started taking those steps. Same thing spiritually, same thing socially, um, emotionally and financially, all of those things. And so and I know that we are short on time here. I won't go into detail, but I took inventory of my life. And I made the decision that I am going to be this person. I'm not giving up and failing, quitting was not an option. Not only was it not an option for me, but now I had two children that were looking at me. They're relying on me. And I'm not just trying to make it day to day. I am in pursuit of God, what did you create me to do? Because I'm going to do that thing. It obviously looks different 
than what I'm trying to do. And some way, somehow, he was going to take all that happened to me and use it. And so that's where I am today. That's awesome. And I, and I, I want you to, I, I, I'm, uh, the reason I asked the question is because some of our listeners might be going through something very similar to feel like they had a dream. I, I'm, I'm someone who dealt with the same thing when I stopped fighting. Like I had, I thought this is what I was here to do. I thought, and then God changed it. And that time is tough. And, and, and hearing your story and my story can hopefully inspire and help encourage people going through those same things. So I thank you so much for sharing that. Let's talk about, because I know at home, you didn't talk too much about financing. Your dad worked at school. It wasn't taught in school. Things taught linear one way for everybody. If it's for you, then it's good. If it's not, then do bad. Yeah. And the way it is, especially for us in our community, as we learn different than, than, than other communities, it's just because we have different experiences. So how was how was it like managing your own finances in your household as a business owner and then also past that when you began to earn more money with us 21? Yeah. So as a business owner, of course, you're you're now responsible for all of those specifics that your employer normally is responsible for. And if you don't have an understanding, you mentioned earlier that there's different hats that you have to wear as a business owner. You're responsible for marketing as well as the financial. And so um, for, for me, so those categories, CFO, CEO, and COO, right? We wear all three of those hats. Going through the financial piece, I realized that, first of all, I had always had good credit. And when my credit started going south because my financials were not in order, I was like, oh, whoa, you know, wait a minute. We got to get this train because with when I first started making money, the checks were coming in. Um, I learned that, okay, you can't, you can't commingle funds. I mean, like literally I'm just going along the way and having bump in my head and learning what's supposed to happen. I would recommend to anyone at, at the very minimum contact a score S C O R E through, I think they're through the Sacramento business association but they're a nonprofit and they help you gain an understanding of all of the pieces that you're supposed to have, your business plan, how to set up your bank accounts, things like that. Um, the other, there, there are a lot of companies and entities out there that help you figure out how to set up your business before you pull the trigger. So that's the first lesson that I learned the hard way is that there should have been some business set up that I should have done. But because I didn't do that, I did learn the hard way. I did end up, once I got into real estate, at the time when I got into real estate, again, this was at the height of the market, the IRS audited me and I found out that the IRS went after hundreds of thousands of real estate agents because it was the, the low hanging fruit because they saw that the industry, you know, all the money that was being made hand over fist, perfect segment, the real estate industry to target them and get people for different various reasons. So I spent years trying to unravel that because I went from having my taxes done through H&R Block for years, for as long as I was working, H&R Block always did my taxes. When I got into real estate, they referred me to someone online because instead of walking in, they had some, it was the beginning of doing online taxes mm. and they had someone online. I remember she was in Southern California and I left it up to her. I just sent her the documentation she asked. I left it up to her to create my um, tax return. She sent it. I was supposed to review it and then sign off on it. I'm making the assumption that she's looking out for my best interest and I did not review everything that she sent, but she was giving me back. A, a, I was getting back a um, refund <laughs> at the end of every year for like, I don't know, six or seven years. 
not knowing that I probably should have been paying taxes. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so that caught up with me. It caught up with me. But again, it's a it's a it's a tough lesson learned. So now not only do I have a CPA, but I have a a regular accounting bookkeeping company that I use. I use bench.co for my bookkeeping. And um, Tax Tiger is my CPA. And so the two of them combined, they're very, very knowledgeable about all of my money and my finances and what's coming in and what's going out. And so they help keep me on track. But hiring, if you don't know, you need to go find what you don't know. When you start a business, you want to look look for the organizations and companies that will help you put it all together. And you really want to look for someone who has a good understanding of the service you provide. So keep looking until you find that that uh, that entity to help you establish if you're going to be an S-Corps, LLC, um, how you need to pay your taxes, how you set up your bank accounts, all of those things. Start there. And um, and then going forward, make sure that you, if where the areas where you're not strong and don't make an assumption that you're strong. I, I made the assumption I could do it and I started trying to carry and wear all those hats and I couldn't do it. That's when you hire someone. You hire out. You, you make sure you start with someone like yourself, a financial planner, right? What is your long-term goal? Start with the end in mind early on, even if you have nothing. Start with the end in mind. How much money do you plan to make by the end of this year? What, what, what are your expenses right now? What are your bills that you need to cover? And then how much money do you want to make on top of that every month, right? So what does that look like at the end of the year? So maybe before you opened your business, you were bringing home $3,500 a month, but you go into business because you want to make more money. So your $3,500 a month currently covers your basic needs, but as a business owner and as you putting your services out there, maybe you want to bring home $7,000 a month. So now that means at $7,000 a month, what does that look like? for um, taxes, what does that look, how, how much now are you paying in taxes? How much money do you actually have to make in your business to make you $7,000 a month? So this is how you, your business might need to bring home, bring you, bring in 10,000 or 15,000 or 20,000 for you to make 7,000. So you, you, you've got to start with the end in mind and then make sure you hire the right people to help get you where you need to be. The people who are strong in those areas, the people who have proven experience, a proven track record, not people who say, not just because they have uh, 20,000 people following them on Instagram because they're showing all these booty shots and you know naked pictures and out clinking glasses, not those folks. We're t- the, the people who could probably help you the most may not even be on social media that often because they're so busy working. Can I just say that? Hey, I believe it. Hey, I'll take that as a shout out to myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, um, it, it comes down to having those people around you and trusting them, being able to delegate. I'm big on delegation. I can't do everything myself. At first, when you start a business, yeah, you might be stuck, but there's some people you have to have on your team. Yeah. And again, it goes back to the way you're brought up, having that vision in sight of where you want to be and not only having the vision, but being able to put that vision in words. That's huge, too. And so the people who are on your team can realize, OK, this she's going to go to this place. And I'd like to go there with her. Yeah. It's, it's so easy. And this is a marriage going to marriage now. It's so easy for me to have this vision and be like, babe, come on, believe in me. I got this thing. But if I don't put it in words to, so I can pay the picture of her, she'd be like, what's this dude doing? He's just banging his head against the wall. Right. So who's going to come on that journey with you? You've got to write down that vision and be able to explain it to others so they believe and they can they can get, get along with the vision as well. Right. A.K.A. a business plan. Business plan. Right. Yep. Those business plan, the business plan 
is the long-term structure of the processes, the policies, the procedures, how you plan to execute on specific tasks. And then those tasks become your daily tasks and habits that should be placed inside your calendar from which now you work on a daily basis. And so you don't really have all this free time that you think you have because for now, when you first start your business, you are the employee. And for, for some of us, as being the only employee in our business, if we were to step back and look at our behavior on a daily basis, we would probably fire ourselves if we were the boss. You took you take the words <laughs> like, out of my mouth. Took, <laughs> and the, the biggest thing is that that task list, because because if you're a business owner and you just own the business by yourself, no one's telling you what to do. You're not accountable to anybody right. other than other than your goals. But you got to have your goals right now and you got to have tasks to complete because it's easy to feel like, hey, you know, I did something big today. I did something big today. I'm taking the rest of the day off. Like if you, I sold a home today. It took me an hour. That's not a, that's not how you work. No. There's no job where you're working one hour. No, no. And For it, me, my day ends when the work is done. That's right. When, when the tasks are done for the day. Sometimes that's at six or seven. That's usually the goal. Sometimes it's nine or 10. It, it doesn't just stop because five o'clock comes. Yeah, or because you accomplish something big. One big goal, it, does, that it can't just stop there. Right. And it doesn't start at 9 a.m. I've been up since I think I got up. My body naturally gets up around four. I think I got up like at three, close to four o'clock. But I was outside exercising by 545. I was done by seven. So you can accomplish whatever it is you want to, my goal today is to knock out about, I got a calendar full of stuff that I got to do. When I'm done here, I got to hop on the road and go look at some property in Oroville. Then I have a listing appointment. Then I've got some other things that I need to knock out. My calendar is prepared based off the tasks that come from the goals that I need to accomplish this month that are tied to my goals for the year. And so if you don't have a business plan, what are you doing? You're saying it. You're preaching it. So let, I do want to talk about you and to now and what's going on. So let's talk about what, you, what's, what you're doing now, the different business revenue streams you have set up and how you manage them all and still manage to enjoy your life and spend time with your children. Oh, so my children are, my son is 31. My daughter is, well, my son will be 31 in June. Wow. My daughter is 26. So I don't, day. <laughs> thank you. I don't have any children at home. So that helps. <laughs> yeah. um, but the other things that I have as far as income streams. So gosh, it's probably been three or four years now that I've been investing in stocks and options. I joined a group called the Greater Sacramento Financial Literacy Group, and you can look them up online. They were small in number, like less than like 50 or 70 when, when the group first started about five years ago. And now it's over three or 400 because when after COVID happened, everything went to Zoom and more people started having money and, you know, putting it into different uh, stocks and things and, and coming to Greater Sacramento Financial Literacy Group for that help. Um, I did really well uh, with the first year we went into COVID. And so that has always remained, uh, that has now since remained a, a way of me redirecting some cash immediately from my check going automatically into that fund and waiting for opportunities to invest. Uh, through that group, I'm invested in a couple of companies. We all there. We the company formed um, smaller LLCs to invest in bigger ventures together. So I'm invested in a company called Reviver. If you look them up, um, they are an electronic license plate company, and they are African American owned. 
They are in several states and their goal is to be in every state very soon within the next few years. The Reviver license plate automatically updates your registration so you don't have to go into DMV. So when I say they're in every state, meaning that those states have, they've you know gotten with their systems and they, if, so if you have a plate, a Reviver plate in the state of California, California accepts it, you can now automatically update your registration through your license plate without ever having to deal with a sticker. In addition, they do customized plates. You can have little sayings on the bottom of your plate. It's all, it's very cool. So uh, I am an owner of that company, part owner. Um, we also, uh, there is a radio station in LA called KBLA. Tavis Smiley, you've heard of Tavis Smiley? Yeah. Tavis, Tavis Smiley is the owner of that. And 97.5 FM KDEE and KBLA are now sister stations. They are two of only three Black-owned radio stations in the state of California. And they now, we are now part owners of that radio station as well. And so that is a nationwide, that has a nationwide reach. Um, that So those are the investment vehicles <laughs> that I'm in. Um, Reviver is actually set to go public in less than a year. And when they do, I'm going to be pretty nice <laughs> because right now we bought in at, in a private equity at the, at the very beginning before anyone else could get in. But when they go public and they start selling shares, the part that we own will become a lot. So I will have a, a, a tremendous amount of shares in the, in the company that I could either sell or keep. And so I'll be really, really comfortable at that point. So that's that. Plus the real estate portion, as a broker, 100% of my commissions come to me. But then I'm also responsible for overhead. Um, I pay myself a flat salary because it's the cleanest way to do it. So all of the income that comes in doesn't go to me. Mm -hmm. If I make $50,000, $60,000 in a month, I don't cut myself a $50,000, $60,000 check. <laughs> I cut myself my regular payroll and it's actually set up automatically to be distributed to my bank account at the first of each month. The other uh, stream of income is the property management company that I mentioned earlier, where I manage properties exclusively for my investors. Um, one, two, three, <laughs> one else is there. So the last one, which is actually a newer, um, it, it's, it's, not, it's not generating income as of yet. Uh, the idea is that it will, but we are working on a development uh, piece. And I can't really go into a lot of detail about it because it's it's still in the in the we're trying to gain root, trying to gain foundation. So I can't really reveal any details, but to say that that is actually chapter two, I can tell you this. Um, in the fall, I will uh, start again at Sac State. And I'll be getting a degree under geology, urban planning, and architectural design. And so that's all to stay in line with the project that we're working on. It's awesome that you're doing, Kate. That this is inspiring. I'm so we gotta, you know, I do the you came to one, the woman event. I gotta have one where you speak at and you get to inspire young ladies because your story is just awesome. I've been just sitting here, I've now I haven't talked much. So you know I've been listening. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm looking at the time like, oh my gosh, I'm running off at the mouth. Yeah, See, uh, that's what these talk people do. No, Sorry uh, about that. <laughs> uh, one thing I want to ask you, I, I know you, I know you have somewhere to be pretty quick, but I do want to ask you, um, so through the real estate investment, the property management company, are you seeing people take different routes to creating income with real estate rather than just traditional rentals? Are people looking at different revenue, different avenues like Airbnb, things like that? within the properties that you manage? Yeah, so absolutely. There's right now, I think one of the uh, trending revenue paths in real estate for a while 
that a lot of people wanted to pursue, but are, but the market conditions aren't allowing it is flipping. Hmm. Um, the, if you're trying to flip right now as an investor, you have to purchase the property at a very, very low, below market amount in order to put money in it to flip it, to update it, and then put it back on the market to make a profit. This, the way that the market is trending, like right now, median sales price in Sacramento County, I think is about 557,000. And so it's tough to find those properties because inventory is very low and um, you're competing with a lot of investors uh, who have all cash. So that area, I'm not telling people to not pursue it, but you got to look at some, some uh, alternative methods for getting those properties, like really being very diligent about searching property records, keeping your eye out for uh, vacant properties that that you see, you know, either they're boarded up or nobody's coming and going, overgrown grass, searching the tax records to see who the owners are and trying to get your hands on those property by, uh, you know, trying to communicate or connect with the owner of the property. Um, that is, that is a path to try to still get those properties if that's something you're trying to do. But I'm seeing that market kind of decrease a little bit. You're seeing commercials now on TV where the investor, flipper investors have commercials on TV. Hey, I'm Laurel and I've been buying properties for, you know, all over Sacramento. If you want to sell me your home, you know, give me a call. So you're seeing a lot of those now because they're having to use alternative methods to try to find these properties. Um, Airbnbs have been struggling because of COVID and then Airbnb has had some lawsuits. They're, they're going through some things. They are still a very good source of um, having a, a additional stream of income. The When you buy a property right now, if you can get into a property with as little of your own money as possible, and if you can hold it, and if it's eligible to be used as an Airbnb, then it can provide you really good income. If you can hold it, get into it as little as possible and rent it out, it will provide you with very good income because the rental market is just crazy. Rents are now officially higher than mortgages. And so, a three bed, two bath, 1200 square foot home in an average neighborhood in South Sacramento could possibly bring you $1,800, $1,900 a month. Where back in the day, something like that would rent for about $1,100, $1,200 a month. And so, and when I say 18 or 19, I'm being conservative because if it has any amenities at all, you could probably get over $2,000 a month for it. And, and your investors, you mentioned at the beginning, they're buy hold. So they're just waiting to let the properties appreciate. And you're making money two ways. If you can get into it with as little of your own money as possible, you're making money on the monthly rents, right? Because if your monthly payment on that mortgage is low, whatever is above that, that you're getting in rents, you're in the black. You want to make sure you're putting some in reserves for the property for any things that you might have. But then the rest of that money, you should be stacking away and then reinvesting it. And then as you're holding, like you said, now the property year over year over year, you're gaining an equity. And just remember to not treat the house like an ATM. You, you purchase it, set it, forget it. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you are managing it properly. Make sure that you have a really good tenant in there who's going to love on that home as if it's their own. They got good rental history. They got good work history. Stuff happens. Be flexible. Treat them really well. And that tenant will treat your property well. They will stay there forever if your goal is to buy and hold. And one question. I know we're going to wrap up right here. But quick question. for what, How do you advise those who might, they might have their first investment property and, you know, they might, they have some equity in the property. They buy the good time. They have some equity in the property. And they they want to take that house out to eventually go into more to, to expand their real estate holdings. Mm -hmm. What are some questions they should ask themselves before making that doing that refi cash out? 
So if they have the equity there to do the refi cash out and buy another property and the market is in agreement with them, pull the trigger. So that's the only question. Is the market in agreement with you? Because over the long run, real estate is the best investment, always, always. So it's it's not a matter of how much you bought the house at. It's can you afford it? And is the market on your side when you do it? And if it is, pull the trigger. Because even if you buy it and now things are tight for a minute, it's only going to be for a minute. Even if it goes down, you still got it. <laughs> you, you do what you need to do to keep it because it's going to bounce back. If we look at real estate over the past 10 years, over the past 20 years, the past 50 years, it's going up. There might be some dips, right? But it's dipping up. It's dipping up. The houses used to sell for 70,000. Houses are never going to sell for $70,000 again. Those $70,000 homes are now selling for $370,000. So it's always a good time to jump in if you can afford it and if the market is in agreement with you. Okay, so last question, then we'll close. When you say the market's in agreement with you, what do you mean? That means that you, you want to always, with any investment, you want to assess the forecast. So right now, what is the market forecasting? What are we hearing locally? And what are we hearing nationally? We're hearing locally still that inventory is tight. We're hearing locally still that prices are going up. So you, you, you check that information. Those are facts. We're hearing nationally the same thing. Where the economy is concerned, they're talking about a recession, right? So you have to go into it anticipating the worst. Mm -hmm. So if you buy it, if you can afford it right now, you have to anticipate whether it happens or not that that recession is going to happen. And the recession, anytime there's a recession or anytime the market drops, that means you can't use that investment piece to undergird you, to help you out. And what do I mean by that? If I buy a home for $400,000, i am hoping that next year and the year after and the year after, it's going to gain equity. The average equity gain on, on a, a residential property year over year is 3 to 5%. The past two, three years, we've seen equity gains 27% and higher. That's unreal. It's going to settle back down. Going back to my point, though, if we're getting ready to hit a recession, am I going to see those same equity gains? Probably not. If it were a normal market and there were equity gains and I bought the house at 400000 and then I realized 3 to 5% the next year and the next year and the next year, and I lose my job, I could then rely on my investment, my home, right? To pull some money out if I need to, to tide me over until I found a job. But if we know that there's a recession coming and you buy a home, mm -hmm. if we know that there's possibly a recession coming and you buy a home, you don't want to think that you can rely on the home to sustain you if you have a personal economic situation. Does that make sense? No, that's just the same in thing. case. That's the same thing I tell my clients. And you, I'm not looking, if you're buying a home, don't look like you said, prepare for the worst. So you have to realize that if you don't have a renter in you, or if you are, if you are, if you, if you lose equity in your property, the first year you're upside down next year, you can still realistically afford that mortgage with the money that you currently have. Right. That's kind of the same advice I give my clients. I thank you for sharing that. We're at the end here. I know you got somewhere to be. I always end all these podcasts with the same question. I, you know, it's all about um, financial success. And the words financial success can mean different things to different people. I'm sure it meant different to you when you were painting your mom's wall in G Parkway to what it meant to you when you were, when you had your marketing business to what it means to you today. But, you know, let's talk about today. Today, uh, 2022, what do the words financial success mean to you, Key? And I'm asking from a lifestyle, quality of life, not a dollar amount. 
So financial success to me means equity for everyone. I don't want to be the only one eating. Mm -hmm. I want you to eat too. And if you're not eating too, I'm not financially successful. That is great, Key. That's, I'm in agreement with that. I'm glad you shared. You've been an awesome guest, Key. Thanks. I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna, I'll leave some uh, links to your radio show, to your, your business, to your webpage. If anybody wants to get in contact with Key, I'll have some contact information with her in, in the show notes, as long as if it's okay with you, I should have asked. Absolutely. My website is very simple to remember, agentkey.com, A-G-T-K-E-E.com. Agentkey.com. And um, you've been a great guest. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. I appreciate it, Peyton. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. You guys have a blessed week. <laughs> hey, what's going on, guys? It's your host and investment advisor representative for the Homes Financial, Peyton Boyer. I hope you enjoyed the show. It's my job to understand my clients' financial goals and work alongside them to design a plan to reach those goals. If you're looking at editing your own money story, I'm here to help. Give me a call to schedule your free one-hour consultation either via Zoom or in person. My phone number is 916-271-1974 or click the link to send me an email below. Have an awesome week. Payne Boyer is a financial professional with Homes Financial of and securities offered through Bertha Fisher & Company Financial Services, Inc. BFCFS member FINRA FIPC Homes Financial is independent of BFCFS.